Welcome back to the Zume Multiplying Disciples podcast, where we're on a journey to saturate the world with multiplying disciples in our generation. It's great to join you, friend, in South Asia and just the ways that God has been working, something that's really powerful about your story that I'm excited that we get to dive into some is the fact that, you know, I'm not mentioning your name because of security, but you started using Mm -hmm. Zume when you lived in the States and using Zume began coaching people online that lived in South Asia. And through mm-hmm. the people that you met as you were coaching them at a distance over Zoom, you actually then picked up your whole life and you moved to this place in South Asia to continue coaching and working with them, these very people that you met through leading a Zoom group online. And mm-hmm. yeah, would love to hear just some more of that story. Okay. Well, thank you. I appreciate the time. Um, of course, I am an avid uh, 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 supporter and user of Zume, and I've used Zume now for over two years. In fact, when I started, uh, to the first time I learned Zume was during the COVID lockdown, and of course, with the lockdown, everyone was using Zoom, as you recall, because uh, that was the safe way to connect with other people. And of course, with Zoom and the internet, you can go anywhere in the world. And uh, in my particular situation. Uh, During COVID, I was able to go to Africa for a a period of time. And while there, I found time to start looking, trying to find people that may want to take Zume online uh, in South Asia. God had led me to a few countries in South Asia. So uh, I used uh, Facebook and and just looked at profiles of people in those countries. And if it was a person, one, who was a Christian, um, two, showed interest in mission work, um, then I would send them a friend request or send them a, a, a introductory line and just let them know I'm a coach for Zume and I would love to teach them. It's a 10 lesson uh, we do online. And most of I'd say about, well, let me say I taught about close to 100 people during that time in those countries. Or actually had three countries that I was working with at that time and just letting God kind of guide me through that process. And so it was a combination of using social media to find the people and then, of course, prayer. And then uh, God guide me on, on the country because my goal was that once COVID lifted, that I would be able to move to a country that God helped me narrow down. And, uh, and so what I found, uh, I, I was uh, teach, coaching uh, Zoomy online on Zoom, and then it was very apparent that one country in particular stood out in South Asia. The people there were very appreciative of my coaching, there, I, of course, I may, I, I'm a little tough. I'm 69 years old, retired, electrical engineer, done with my career, worked with a lot of people, uh, did a lot of inner city mission work. And so I, I uh, used a number of things to kind of get to know people. One was how well did they do their homework? Did they go over and above on the homework? Um, and then, of course, with Zoom, you see the face. You, I, If they have a family, they're, they're uh, 
that they want to tell me about and introduce me to. I encourage that. So that way I just get to know the whole person. Um, and I did not tell them that I my goal was to narrow it down to just a handful of people and then move to that country. Um, but that's what I did is that I picked out people with through prayer, of course, the people that showed the commitment to do full-time mission work um, as with help. And so that was enough for me then to go to the, the specific country. And, and let me say that, um, you know, over 10 lessons of Zume, you get to know a person pretty well, even though you're limited, you know, to whatever Zoom can do. Um, but uh, I was comfortable enough to pick out uh, six people, and then they helped me find a place, a large uh, place where we all could live together. And I had many people, mentors. You know, I, I took the two-year curriculum, if I can mention the name, Fidelis, which helped me with the, the mission work and get me focused or um, get me connected with other uh, very, uh, uh, very awesome missionaries. Um, and I, and all of them said, Dean, don't, don't go to that country and live in the house with strangers that you really don't know. And, um, and so, uh, I went ahead and did it. And, uh, in hindsight, it worked out very well. Um, and now we're, so we're now um, more settled in this country. I've been here now 14 months and, uh, and, People uh, are still showing a strong appreciation to, appreciation of Zume. Uh, as you know, it's it's for it's very easy to teach uh, new Christians, and uh, and so we're using it in a very powerful way. As kind of our, it's really what I see is kind of a stepping stone, a good stepping stone to get to know people here while I'm living here, and then see where it goes from there. Because through the curriculum I took, the two-year curriculum on mission work, I have many good resources to use for more training. And so some people are more academically inclined and want to dig deeper into mission work. And if I see a good God-given purpose to do that with that, per with that person, I will go deeper in into the academic teaching of mission work. And so you end up... Uh, uh, using all of that to help uh, place people in in what they their role, what their God given role will be, so they're trained adequately. Uh, and basically, you know, as as you know, Zume always says that uh, you use your existing relationships, and that's basically what we follow here too. Is that uh, especially in a closed country like we are here in in South Asia that. Um, uh, you know, the, the people that I teach Zume, of course, are, are taught to go to their existing relationships, uh, to start their mission work. And really, uh, in a closed country, Zume has a ton of benefits. Um, all, all the tools that you're taught in Zume, especially, of course, the three thirds group is extremely good with, with uh, the mission work. And, and as we, as we grow the kingdom here in this country, uh, the three-thirds group also helps you uh, identify leaders. Because as you know, as the, as the number of simple, group, simple churches grow, the need for leaders grows. 
And, and so I tried to participate sometimes virtually uh, in these group meetings uh, to help, again, get to know people who are, who are floating to the top in leadership roles uh, um, and then focusing on them. And of course, all the people that are uh, producing permanent fruit, we focus on as, as Zume teaches. Um, and so really, Zume has been kind of the foundation of a lot of the work here. Um, and, and like I say, it's, it's almost like a stepping stone to get more involved in, uh, the mission work with people in this country. Amen. It's so exciting. And so, well, I remember one of the stories that you were sharing not long ago about one of these disciples, one of these leaders that you've been working with went through just a crazy experience. Uh, would you just share a little bit of that story? Sure. Well, you know, all the missionaries here, because they went through a lot of persecution, uh, uh, you know, um, 10 years ago, roughly 10, 15 years ago. So m- most of the missionaries that I've coached and are working with in their, are in their 20s, low 30 uh, age. And, and so when they went through the heavy persecution, some were 10 years old, you know, young children, really. And, and so hearing their stories was very inspiring to me because, you know, the persecution and then how how the people reacted to their families and, and what happened to their families. And so this one particular person that, that you raised is uh, one, uh, just one of my star missionaries that I just love dearly. And and um, he has quite a testimony. Um, and uh, and I wish I could just openly share it all. But uh, he, what he basically did is he he well, first, he grew up in a very closed, uh, strong, devoted religion. And I can I can say the Buddha, Buddhist religion. And um, and they were known to be very strong in their beliefs, the, this particular uh, Buddhist group. But when this person got to be about 18 years old, a missionary got a hold of him and uh, through the teaching of musical instruments and was able to lead him to Christ. And of course, he was kicked out of the monastery right away. And he was only 18 years old. Um, And God took him to a family. uh, This is this is in the Himalayas, took him to a Christian family in the Himalayas, which is how could that happen? I don't know. But he found a Christian family. Not only did they take him in, house him, because this is in the winter when this happened. Um, but after they got to know him, they said, we want to send you to a three-year Bible college in India. And so they did that. And then towards the end of his college uh, program, God clearly called him back to his village. And this missionary said, to God, how can I? They won't let me back in there. I can't talk. I can't even talk to my brothers and sisters. And but he knew God was telling him without any doubt on his way. So he graduated and then on his way to his village. And of course, the whole way is wondering, how am I going to do this? Because, of course, not allowed to talk, not allowed to see, not allowed to set foot in there. I, he, sta- he stayed overnight at a friend's house uh, as he was go get, working back to his village, working to his village. And his friend said, I received something in the mail for you. It has no return address, but I wanted to give it to you. And he opened it up. It was a check for $10,000, which is a lot of money at that time. He didn't know what to do with that, but he knew God wanted to spend it on something for his villagers. 
as he was walking toward his village, there was a river, uh, you know, my big mountain stream. And he realized at that point that this mountain stream prevented his villagers from getting to a marketplace in a short time, that if he put a bridge there, it would cut their travel distance quite a bit. So he asked a friend to give him a proposal to build a bridge across the river right near where his village was. And his friend came and did that. And he gave the proposal and it was $9,500. And so that right away told my friend, my missionary friend, that's what God wants. So he put that bridge in, but still, even with that bridge, they wouldn't let him in the village. And slowly, because he knew the villagers, which family, this was a relatively small village. So he knew which families needed the most help, you know, as in these kind of um, uh, uh, situations, the if the bread, if the they're they're all of course earning their money off of farming and things, and if a per, the man gets injured, it's hard for him to provide for his family. And so my missionary knew which families needed the help, and that's what he did. And but he couldn't talk to anyone, but he knew what to do. He would just go on and do take care of the animals, do the farming, whatever it was. Then one of the wealthy monks found out about that. And he called all the villagers and told them, do not let this person on your property and do not let them let him help you. So they stopped him. But that didn't stop my missionary friend. He just bought some flashlights and worked at night. And when that wealthy monk heard of that, he got so upset. So he told the villagers no more. And and but then one one of the villagers who who had like eight, nine children, said, I am injured, permanently injured, and I cannot provide enough food for my family. And my missionary friend, I can't say his name, of course, he's helping me put food on the table for my children. And your monks down the road in the monastery, they're praying. So what do you think I should do? (laughs) And the wealthy monk just didn't, he threw up his hands. He was so upset, so angry. But it was like he couldn't couldn't stop it. And over it took, according to my missionary friend, it took two years and they started letting him in more and more and more. And he got to the point where now he is teaching the Bible to a number of families there. We put in a satellite Internet and of course, it's still done in secret. And uh, because of the kind of persecution that these people will have to go through, They'll announce their Christian faith uh, as a group so that they can support each other through the persecution that will result. Um, And then to tell the story that you kind of asked about, Mary, um, my missionary friend would come back, would return from his village twice a year back back to the city. city. And on his way back this past year, uh, um, he had a motorcycle accident. Um, he fell down a ravine. He was going over a narrow bridge, narrow, bumpy uh, bridge, lost control, went down a ravine. The motorcycle followed him, hit him in the helmet and broke his C6 vertebrae. He was paralyzed from the waist down. And then uh, luckily, one of our missionaries was right there on, close to the scene and put a neck brace on and all that to take precautions. And then they got the medical helicopter to come and they said the medical medical helicopter costs five thousand U.S. dollars to fly my missionary friend from the scene of the accident to a big city where the hospital would be to take care of him. 
And believe it or not, my missionary's friends, Buddhist monk friends, paid for that ride. 5000 U.S. dollars they paid. And, and so he was flown to the city for surgery. Um, and uh, the doctor told his wife, my missionary friend's wife, that his injuries are such that he does not expect uh, my missionary friend to live and to not spend a lot of money on medical costs. In, in many countries like this, uh, people, of course, they don't have medical insurance. And although medical costs may be cheap to you and I, as we hear it, but to them, it's not. And so many families, you know, go into deep debt and the interest rates for loans on that is very high. And it just makes them a, a, a debt slave for the rest of their life. So, so the doctor just was trying to be uh, friendly, uh, but, you know, uh, uh, and of course, uh, his wife did not want to hear that news, but um, but he had the surgery. And about two weeks after the surgery, when his wife and a nurse were picking up my missionary friend from the bed to put him in a wheelchair, uh, his wife felt his body go limp. And then she quick looked at his eyes, her husband's eyes, and they rolled back and she yelled, he died. And the nurse said, let's let him down, put him back down on the bed. She checked his pulse and there was no pulse. She immediately called the doctor to come in uh, to his room. And the doctor checked and she looked at his wife and said, I'm sorry. And um, luckily, or at the time, right at that time, um, a relative uh, who's a pastor in the same country, very awesome man of God, knew something was wrong. He was down like in the lobby area. He knew something was going on. He ran down there. And when he came into the room where my missionary friend was laying on the hospital bed dead, he said he raised his hands and he yelled, help us, Jesus, help us, Jesus. And then my missionary friend's eyes opened up. The doctor was still there. There were about three or four nurses. He had, the doctor had already told the head nurse to write down the estimated time of death. And then when after the missionary, my missionary opened his eyes, one of the uh, nurses said, you were dead. And my missionary friend said, no, I wasn't. I was just sleeping. <laughs> and, uh, and so we had that, that miracle. And then also the miracle of him walking because uh, both myself and my missionary's uh, wife were listened to the surgeon before the surgery, and the surgeon told us that he would give our missionary um, less than 5% chance that he will ever walk again. And about two weeks after surgery, uh, when his wife was pushing him around in the wheelchair, my missionary said, I want to try to push the, push my wheelchair. Let me get up. And he took a couple of steps and just to show that he was going to be able to walk. And he's a very disciplined, as you can imagine, uh, his background, a Buddhist monk. He has a very strong discipline about him, but he has a beautiful personality, too, which is why he has made the best inroads into a very closed group of people. And there are many, many villages to go now to with this. And so I'm just very thankful to God that, you know, he and I, this missionary and my and myself are together now. 
Um, he's still uh, limited in his physical ability, but that's okay. We're, we, um, God provided an, an alternative way for my missionary to get to his village, and that is they're building a road as we speak. The country that I'm in approved building a road. They didn't, they didn't know about my missionary friend that having a hard time going back to his village. And uh, so God is uh, having the country, this closed country build a road so that my missionary friend can go there. It's a very beautiful story. Yes, that is incredible. Thank you so much for sharing. And every time that you're mentioning your missionary friend, I just think about how you're talking about a local leader who, as you mentioned, was a former Buddhist monk who is now a disciple, seeing disciples and churches multiply as a just local missionary in their own town and their own place. And so as you are a missionary in just another career after retirement, after a very successful and um, very, you know, pretty prestige in, in just the careers that you have worked in are now being just a, a missionary yourself from another country coming in as an outsider, yeah. but seeing just the insiders, those there become just missionaries to their people. And so yeah. it's exciting. Yes, I'd like, I'd yeah. Mention, mm-hmm. I'd like, it is. It is. And, and, you know, I gave my heart to Christ at the age of 12 and by the age of 14, he called me into the mission field but to make a long story short, I ended up not going to the mission field um, after graduating from college. And so I had a family and uh, but God, God's calling stayed on my heart the whole time. And I was able to do that in the terms of an inner city mission effort that I did for 30 years. And then when I got close to retirement, I knew God was calling me back to the mission field. So it, it, for me, of course, now that I'm doing it, I can look back and say, God, I, you were right. I should have been a missionary right from the get-go because I, uh, as much as I love my career as electrical engineer doing renewable energy projects, um, I believe God really, my satisfaction and enjoyment comes more from this mission work that I'm doing now. I, I'm... Uh, I'm energized every day. And a lot of it is the people. I'd say 90%. I mean, we're given a great method. The Zume method is fantastic. It's perfect for this country. And when I teach, even I'm working with a lot of the Christian leaders here, and they all say, Zume is perfect for our country. And many, many reasons for it. And so, again, it's that getting in the door uh, with Zume, because not many, when I came here a little over a year ago, I only met one person who heard of Zume and he found it online, but he didn't do much with it. And so uh, now, of course, uh, more and more Christians have heard of it. And part of my concern with it, because, yes, we want Zume used throughout uh, any of the, uh, the unreached and closed countries. But what's very important about Zume is to teach it correctly. And the only way you can teach it correctly is to practice it yourself. You have to, not just for a short time, you have to be using all of those tools in Zume so that when you teach them, not only do you know the steps of what you do to 
do these tools, but you know the wisdom behind these tools because that's just as important. And the other part that I always teach is the role of the Holy Spirit in each of these tools, because Mm -hmm. there is a role of the Holy Spirit in each of these tools. These are very spiritual people in this country. They they didn't grow up as Christians, but they grew up spiritual. And it's very easy for them to understand when you talk about the Holy Spirit working with them in these tools. And what role does the Holy Spirit have? And what role do you have? And and you see Zume used in a more effective way when you do that. Amen. Yeah, completely agree and can testify myself as well as many, many others who would hands down say the same. In fact, one of the principles, as you very well know, just in Zume is the fact that a disciple is someone who hears, obeys, and spreads. Um, Hears, obeys, and shares. And someone who hears and doesn't obey, but shares, we would call that someone a hypocrite. They're hearing it, they're telling others, but they're not doing it themselves. And then someone who hears and obeys, like they hear it, they do it themselves, but they don't share it. We would call that a person selfish. You know, this is true of anything in life. And so, especially when we talk about in God's word. And so just like spiritual breathing, you can only breathe in so much before you got to exhale out. And so it is, yeah, incredible and life-changing, truly these principles when not simply learned or memorized, but really, really lived out. And so thank you so much for sharing these testimonies from South Asia and exciting that Zume is in over 40 languages now that anyone can access online. You can download it and even save it onto a phone or computer when the internet is not strong to be streaming all the time. And there's even Zume book that's in print or, you know, so there's so many ways that you can access it in many countries, many languages, whether internet is strong or not even available. And so there's even some new Zume languages that have been released just recently. So check those out on on Zume.training. And so thank you so much for sharing just these stories, these testimonies. I know it's just a snapshot of so much more that you could share, but thank you for also your faithfulness in leading Zume online, you know, using Mm -hmm. God, using that to lead you to move to the country that you're in and work with the people you're working that you met online through Zume. And so yes. is there any, uh, just, you know, as we close real quick, anything else that you'd like to share? Um, I think, you know, people who want to do kind of what I've done, uh, the heart, it's a lot of work. Okay. And it's not just on my part but all the missionaries and and um and so i emphasize that with all the people and and that's the way god made this mission work is that it is it's a lot of hard work and there's always days that are great days and there's days that are more difficult days but our faith gets us through all of it knowing that god is always good and he's always guiding us and he wants these lost people saved way more than we do and so God is always there. And I, I could go on and on about the things that God has done since I've been here uh, for 15 months, um, just one thing after the next. And it is so faith building. 
So my faith has changed quite a bit between the testimonies I hear, the people here, uh, you know, what they've gone through, and then watching how God moves when you're really focused and working hard on mission work, God really shows himself uh, very frequently. And so I just want to encourage everyone to to use Zume and get out and, and do it. Because, yeah, it's, it's fun to learn, but it's a whole lot more fun to actually apply. <laughs> Amen. I know there's many ways that you've used social media also and being able to find and connect with people with Zume and social media. So perhaps we'll have to circle back for a part two. But thank you so much for the honor of getting to, to hear and to share today. Thank you, Mary. Thanks for listening. To learn more, go to www.zume.vision. And to be equipped, go to www.zume.training. Have questions for the podcast? You can email them to podcast at zume.vision.com.